All right. Good evening. Someone, one person's excited to be here, so that's good. We'll start with one. <laughs> good to be with you guys. I'll move a little closer to you. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you here tonight. And uh, I do want to say that, um, well, I want to say more than one thing, <laughs> that uh, I believe that we're gathered here for the next few days, and I, and I really would hope that you'd make an intention to come here uh, because uh, every service, if you can, because I, I don't come to do meetings. I don't come to, because I don't have anything else better to do. I go because I, I feel like in these times, we have a very strategic assignment from the Lord to, to advance in something. And I don't know why you've come here tonight, but this is really, really serious stuff that we've gathered here for. The, the, the church is to put the ecclesia, if you understand that concept, it's the governing body in the earth. And it's supposed to be legislating what's happening in the earth right now. And uh, so we're part of the greatest time to be alive. It doesn't mean that there's not challenges. It doesn't mean you might not have any difficulties in your life. It just means that, and I don't say this in any way, to exaggerate anything, but this is really the greatest time to be alive. There has been no other generation in church history that has access to what this generation has access to, and God is pouring out his spirit around the world in an unprecedented way. And so you have the privilege to be a part of that, and you get, you get to decide if you're going to participate in that. And so we've, we, I've come here with an, an assignment to just... Uh, my goal is to add to what God is doing in your life and hopefully increase that momentum in your life. And uh, so really, uh, I'm going to probably take my time to get into a few things, but uh, this, this it's, it's like the, the Lord spoke to me a number of years ago and he said, uh, you know, I don't have a plan B. It's the church. You know, and I liken, I liken the, the church right now to like the Trump presidency, it's kind of God's choice, lots of dysfunction, but it's God's choice for this season right now. <laughs> you know, you know. So uh, th- this is why this is why I'm here, and uh, hopefully by the end of the weekend you'll you'll say amen to that. <laughs> but you know, here's the, here's the other thing: if you don't say amen, it's still true. <laughs> you know, I've had people come up to me and said, "I don't believe what you just told." I said, "I know I don't see it in your life. I believe what you're telling me." And, and, then, and then the second thing I, I've told them, and I, I don't mean this to be me, it's like, it doesn't matter if you believe it. It's true. <laughs> you know, truth is independent of how you choose to approach it. You know, and uh, the, the gospel's not true because it works for me. The gospel's just true. You know, and uh, anyway, so... Uh, we have a resource table back there. won't talk too much about that, but this is a book I wrote about, uh, came out about three years ago, and um, it's called Creation Reborn. If you left here tonight and someone came to you and said, I'd like to know the Jesus that you serve, I hope every, how many people are in Christ today? Amen. Okay, if you're not sure, we can work on you, but uh, I don't think, I'm convinced that God doesn't understand you know, when you ask people, are you born again? They're like, I'm, you know, maybe. That means no. 
<laughs> There's no maybe in God. <laughs> oh, it's going to be, anyway, but just, you know, just truck along here, you know. It's kind of like, I'm not sure if I'm a man. No, you're a man. <laughs> the confusion is in your mind. That's a different subject. Yeah, that used to not be so complicated, but, yeah. you know, but, uh, but if, 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 I don't think God understands word of faith, assembly of God, Catholic. He just understands, are you in Christ? Amen. And if yeah. you're in Christ, so if you're in Christ and somebody says, I want to know the Jesus that you serve, hopefully you, in a moment of time, you can lead them to the Lord. And then if you lead them to the Lord, they say, you know what, I got, I got a pain in my shoulder. Hopefully you could go, well, my God takes care of that. Amen. And they go, you know what? I haven't had a job in five years. I need a job. My God takes care of that too. See, one of the things I've really learned about walking with the Lord, by the way, are we taping? Okay, just checking. Doing an excellent job. Uh, my God takes care of that. But I was going to say, the, the kingdom of God is incredibly practical. It's not distant. Any situation that you can think right now that you need help in, he's like, I can help you with that. And then they go, well, you know, I'm a little depressed. Actually, I'm more than a little depressed. I get depressed all the time. And I take medication. Well, my God helps you with that. And pretty soon, hopefully, if you're ministering to this person, they came up with any problem they're facing, they would know that God has a solution for every issue that they have. See, everyone said amen to that. And because it's true. But as evangelical, speaking as an evangelical, charismatic, proud to be, I believe the Bible is the word of God. Amen. I like everything in the book, the maps, everything is from God. <laughs> I like the things that I don't understand because yeah. it forces me to dialogue with the Lord. We know that God's redemption on the cross for humanity was complete. Anything you, you can face it. it. It delivers you from the world system. Completely delivers you. That was a good place to say amen, but I'll keep going. <laughs> That's part of the problem. We haven't been convinced of that one quite yet in the body of Christ. That's a different subject. But um, he does it for an individual. And what God does for an individual, he wants to do for cities, regions, and nations of the world. Yes. Right. For God so what? Loved the world. Yeah. The world. He created the world and he wants Hallelujah. the world to look like him. Yeah. God is not a respecter of nations, but he is going to judge nations. And he doesn't love Americans more than he loves Africa. Right. But despite our dysfunctions, we actually were founded on biblical principles. Don't believe the propaganda. We were. That's yeah. You know, it's like, it's like suddenly, like, we think that God only uses perfect people. What I mean by that is they had some dysfunction that's easy to spell out, but they said, we're going we're gonna to make covenant with you and declare this to be a land of freedom. That's what they believed. And it created the greatest nation that ever existed. It really has. We are so privileged to live in this nation. Greatest, do you know that I think the statistic, the last one that I looked at, 80% of the gospel is financed by the Western world. Yeah. It's called free markets. Yeah. 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 
So when you hear so many people speak ill of this nation, all the ills of it, you have to remember that much good is being done around the world. So that's a little bit what my book is about. It has a story that goes with it of God visiting a family, then God visiting a city. So if you like stories, you can just read the stories. If you like teaching, you can just read the teaching. If you don't like to read, you'll never grow. <laughs> Leaders are readers. <laughs> so, uh, just a little bit. I, I, sometimes I just get rolling, but since I got a little bit of time this weekend, sometimes I more and more I get a little more time. Uh, I might not be the greatest teacher or preacher you've ever heard, but I have something to say. <laughs> you, you should be convinced that you have something to say to the rest of the world. If you're not convinced, the world won't be. <laughs> oh, some of you look with that stare, blank stare. But <laughs> true, humili- true, true, true humility is not downgrading who, who you are. You know? true, the greatest humility is actually receiving what God has made you to be. That's real humility. That knowing what you are with God and knowing what you are without him is, is really helpful to my life. You know who makes you great? The God in me makes me great. God in me makes me brilliant. There is no such thing as mediocre in the Bible. That's why socialism is sponsored by the devil. That was not a political statement. That was a biblical statement, by the way. This whole concept. That I was in Brazil maybe six years ago, and they asked me to speak to leaders. And I understood the heart behind it, but it was actually incorrect. She said, one of the things I like about our church, and this was a leaders meeting, is especially with this group, we're all the same. I said, that is not a biblical statement. That is a world system statement. This whole concept, there was, no, one is, no one is the same in here. Everyone has a contribution. No one, is, no one is to rule over. But there is an order. There is a leadership structure in the body of Christ. And the ones that stand up here should be the greatest servants. So, but I... I uh, in June will be my 16th year in full-time ministry. Full-time ministry is not a job for me. It's not a career. It's not because I, I, I needed something to do with my life. It was a, a call that over 20 years ago, I had this life-changing moment of surrender where literally something was implanted in me where the whole trajectory of my life changed. And my life literally is an example of the goodness of God. Anything that you see that is wonderful in my life has been a result of the goodness of God towards me. My life speaks of the goodness of God, and I intend it to speak all the days of my life. And uh, I, I do a lot of public ministry, but just I believe that my greatest call is just to be a friend of God. For years, one of the things the Lord just told me is, what am I going to do? He told me what, what, where my life was going to go, but I said, I said, well, how do you get there? And all he told me is, I just want you to be my friend. And everyone in here in this room, no matter what assignment you're called to do here while you work on the earth, you're called to be God's friend. You can change the world with dialogue with the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, yeah it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And your, your greatest place is your place of acceptance before the Lord. As believers, we, we have to live with the foundation that we're completely accepted before the Lord. A lot of believers spend lots of time asking God for stuff he's already given them. 
Lord, make me right. No, he's already made you right. Lord, make me holy. No, he's already made you holy. What he wants to do in the context of fellowship with you is teach you how to live out what he's already given you. There you go. There you go. That's what he wants to do. So, why don't we pray? Let's just lift our hands. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you that we're on divine assignment. Thank you for the great state of Montana. Thank you for the city. Thank you for the people here. Thank you that your desire is to set this city on a hill, that it would shine forth the glory of the Lord. And so, Father, we're gathered under the banner of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You are the foundation of the church. And so we lean into you. We say we need your help tonight. Lord, I declare people have ears to hear and eyes to see. Thank you that you've sent me to these great, great people. Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we just honor you. We thank you for miracles taking place in this room. We thank you that this is the open heaven. This is Bethel. This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This is the place where angels ascend and descend on the Son of Man. Thank you for the the ministering spirits that are in this room. Thank you for the angel of revelation. Thank you for the angel that helps open up the word to us. Holy Spirit, you are the teacher. So you said you would not just guide us into some truths, guide us into all truth. We thank you for the living word. Alive. So open it and dissect it. Let it be like those two disciples who walk with you on the road to Emmaus and their hearts burn as you open the word to them. Father, I just lay hold of the the gifts and the offices you've called me tonight. And we say, let it be on display because Jesus is the ultimate office holder in this room. Teach us your ways. Let us be like Hebrew 2 verse 9, that we would see Jesus a little lower than the angels and crowned unto glory. Amen. Amen. Pastor, when we were praying tonight, that was a cool little room, the upper room up there. I saw, it was like the Lord showed me you at least 10 years from now. And the Lord says that you are in a season, a 10-year window, where the building, teaching, and expanding grace is on your life. And the Lord says he's going to cause you to have vision to build for a generation that you will not see. And even right now, I, I saw you like, like with a little grayer hair, but you had strength. And the Lord says, I'm assigning you even beginning tonight to build for the next generation and to even build this community of people to be an outreach community, to be an international hub where people go to the nations of the earth and a people who have a vision to transform this city as never before. And the Lord says, write that vision that he puts in your heart, because if you write it, the people will see it, and some will have trouble apprehending it at first, but it will cause them, it will cause their eyes to be turned, and as their eyes are turned, they'll see heavenward, and as they see heavenward, they'll see my blueprint for this great city. And I see deep within the foundation of the church, this church, I don't know when it was started, There was a burning heart for Pentecost and the things of the Spirit and the things of God. And there was a a great host of angels that even came and and joined the people when they gathered. And the Lord says, I want to reawaken that flame that was 
turned away through the traditions of man. And even I hear this voice saying, ah, we were just not like that and, and, and people won't receive us into the community. And the Lord says to the group of people here, I've called you to be a peculiar community, a people of my presence, a people that follow the cloud and a people that follow my voice. And the Lord says, I'm releasing a grace into the community of people here to have eyes like an eagle, to see from a different place and to move from a different place so they can have fruit that has not been seen. And the Lord says, their wells of outpouring have been stopped in this city. But the Lord says, there is a key, there is a key of intercession being released yes. to my people yeah. to unlock heaven and release a sound that has never before been heard even as it was on the day of Pentecost that would bring transformation and change as never before. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Pastor, I just see like this angel putting like this flash drive in you tonight of like download. And early in the morning, he's going to speak to you at other times, but I see specifically three to five in the morning, he's just going to wake you right out of sleep and go, son, write this down because I'm about to speak to you as never before. And in the dreams too, in the dreams in the night. Better you than me. <laughs> that's not prophetic. That's just Abner commentary. Just something, something just changed in the room. So Lord, we just uh, you know so there was a defined, there was a definite shift, and and I know it's a little hotter in this room, but it's hot, and usually that indicates to me just an increase of the angelic in the room. So Lord, we just honor your presence here. Thank you, Lord. Do you have your Bibles tonight? I hope you did. And tonight, this will we'll start something tonight, and I, and I believe we'll keep going at least till tomorrow night. I say, I don't guarantee it because I just work here. Sometimes it goes a completely different direction, you know. But at least for tonight, and I, and I do believe we'll, we'll dig into this because we probably won't anyway. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, we'll start in verse 1. If you're around the body of Christ, obviously the famous chapter of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, I'm reading out of the New King James. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Gary, can I put my water here? Yeah. Is that okay? So I know where it is. I lose it half the time. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Notice that faith is not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. Another key phrase that we'll probably revisit. So that the things which are seen are not made of the things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained a witness that he was righteous, testifying of his gifts, that through it he being dead still speaks. By faith, 
Enoch was taken away, so he did not see death. Interesting note, just a side note about Enoch's life. Obviously, Enoch never died a natural death. And I, I think sometimes when we read that, we just think God just kind of took him. But this seems to indicate to us that there was some sort of reception on his part or an invitation by God. Hey, you want to not die? Sure. So shows you that faith can even overcome. Actually, faith does override every natural law in the earth. Laws that God even himself created. And was not found because God had taken him because he, for before he was taken, he had testimony to please God. And then, of course, this, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So I want to, uh, uh, felt from the Lord just to begin a, a look at the concept of faith Verse one says, faith is the substance. Substance defined is the ultimate reality that underlines all outward manifestations and change. Substance is the ultimate reality that underlines all outward manifestations and change. There's a reason I'm saying that because we, we're talking about tonight the concept of faith. And as with almost any subject, if you want to really understand how God intended humanity to function, you must start in the book of beginnings. You can't go beyond. There's a tendency now, which I think is, is, will, will cause believers to be off-centered, that we simply, we, we almost throw away the Old Testament as invalid. But you cannot understand the, the, the new unless you understand the, the foundation established in the old. You cannot understand the Great Commission unless you look at the original commission in Genesis 1. We, 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 important. So it's a complete, the Bible doesn't, the Bible describes what God wants us to know about him, but it doesn't contain him. He's way too big to be contained in one book. But what he put in the book is enough for an eternity of trying to figure out how to walk in that stuff. So it, you have to understand, you, the, you, you'll see some original principles that God establishes in Genesis 1 that run through the theme of scripture. So the revelation that God wants to give us of himself is Genesis 2 revelation. If you're real Pentecostal or Baptist, you say revelations. <laughs> through the cross of Jesus. So we'll start in the very first verse of Scripture. Uh, the, I'm, I'm still fascinated by the first verse of Scripture. In the beginning, again, reading of the New King James, in the beginning, that's actually not the, the best translation there. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. How many of you know that God has no beginning and God has no end? So a better translation is, when time began, God created the heavens and the earth. When, when time as we know it began. That's why the beauty about God, you serve a God who has no beginning and has no end. He is what? The alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. He starts at the end of where he knows you're going. He, he starts at the very end of your life and he takes where you are at the end and establishes you today. When time began, God created the heavens and the earth. We'll stop right there because that's really, really important as well. How many know that God doesn't need a place to live? It wasn't like he's like, well, you know, I should probably build myself a house here in heaven. 
Heaven is a created place that God chooses to, to, to show us where his throne would be established and also to show, partly to show us a model of what life on earth should look like. When time began, God created the heavens and the earth. And we'll, we'll repeat this in a minute. The reason we know God doesn't need a place to live is that he's a spirit. He doesn't, he, he doesn't need a home. When, when time began, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, you will see here, and here's another characteristic about God. God is extremely intentional. God didn't just go, you know, I'm going to throw the ocean over here. I'm going to throw people over here. He's extremely intentional. And he's got a desire, he's got an intention, and he's got a very specific goal in creating the earth. Because he's kind of smart. I don't know if you've noticed that. He's kind of beyond genius level. So the reason I say that, he's not just going, oh, we'll throw the ocean over here, we'll do this over here. He is very intentional. He has a desire for the earth, and out of his desire for the earth, the, what he desires, uh, what what God intended and what God he desires manifests through the words he speaks. His words are intentional, and those words put the world into order. And I always say this, that he could have just said, I spoke the universe into existence. But he illustrates a sermon. He tells us over and over and over and over and over and over and over again that he spoke. Because he's trying to illustrate to us the power of his word. And what you will see is that word is a governing power in the earth. And that word does exactly what he intends that word to do every time. Not some of the time, all the time. Amen. Thank you for the one amen. amen. <laughs> You'll also notice that from an unseen world, a spirit God is speaking into the scene and creating what is seen. That's how God creates. I, I was having a conversation, I was teaching on the subject, and then really, one of my really smart friends, he's a PhD from Berkeley or something, he was saying a lot of stuff, quite honestly, I was having trouble following. I was just kind of listening. But he said, one of the things that science has concluded, this is, he goes, this is like scientific consensus now. He said that they have decided that they can only really understand what 4% of the universe, they can only really understand 4% of the world. And then there's this thing called dark matter. And in this dark matter, they say, this dark matter, they're saying there's an unseen force controlling everything that cannot be seen, that, that is seen. I said, I can't just, you just read the Bible, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> so Genesis 1 Three through five, and I'll move quickly through this. God spoke, light, and light appeared. Genesis 1, 11 through 13. God spoke, earth, green, grow up, grow all varieties. Genesis 1, 14 and 15. God spoke, lights come out, shine in heaven's sky. Genesis 1, 20 and 23. God spoke, swarm ocean with fish and all sea and life. Also want to note here that everything that God creates is perfect and unique. They say the universe is still creating. Psalm 33 verse 9 describes this process. It says, he spoke it. What is he speaking? He's speaking his desire for the earth. 
The earth is not defining how God acts. God is defining how the earth acts. The unseen realm defining the seen realm. Genesis 1, 26. And we'll read this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over all the cattle, over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created him. You know, I, I kind of joked about it, but it's really not a joke. One of the reasons you, why you see such an attack on, especially my own state, on traditional gender roles is because they are the foundation of healthy nations and society. Once you confuse those, the whole, the whole nation is, is moving in the wrong direction. Like he said, God's original plan for people was the family. Once those are confused, you got a lot of issues. We're living in the results of that right now in our own country. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's why it's a biblical thing if you want to hunt. Because we're over the animals. <laughs> you say that in California, they give you looks. But I say it in California anyway. God said, to the, God said, see, I have given you herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth. Every tree whose fruit yields, seed to it shall be for food. And also to every beast of the air, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given you every green herb for food, and it was so. So let's look, we can look at more, but we'll look at a few characteristics of what God is establishing here. Number one, in verse 26, it says that he makes man in his image. Image is likeness, modeled, pattern, resemblance after. God actually gives part of all of humanity part of his own personality. It's a very part of God himself that he gives to humanity. Christianity is the only religion in the world, if we want to classify it that, you know, you know, we don't like to call it that, but if we're looking at other religions, it's the only one that honors the dignity of all people. Why don't we kill children in their womb? Because they're made in the image of God, because they're living. They're created by God. In India, where I've been uh, there in November, Hinduism does not recognize the dignity of, of the individual. They don't recognize this. That's why, especially if you're, you're born poor and you're a girl, especially, oftentimes the parents will just try and throw you away. Why? It's going to cause them more problems to have you, especially for when they'll get into more debt when it's time for you to get married. And you're just, you're just a piece of flesh there. And if you're born to us, the, the ridiculousness of that worldview is you did something really bad in your, in your other life, so you deserve to be treated badly. Now, here's what's interesting. Being made in the image of God, you are not a little God, but you are supposed to be the closest thing to God on the planet. Here's an example of that. When I, uh, my dad escaped from Cuba in 1969, by the way, side note, there's no fences or walls to keep people from coming into Cuba, even for their free health care and education. <laughs> They're trying to, they want you to leave. But he escaped Cuba in 1969. So when my dad came to this country, he literally came with, 
he was completely naked when a Puerto Rican plane picked him up just outside of Guantanamo base. So I have never really met any of my dad's natural family. And uh, one day, about seven years ago, I think seven years ago, I don't know, it just all runs together. I'm getting younger and younger. So, but I got an email, and this email was a picture of my father, no more than three or four years old. He may have been five at the oldest. And he was with his family, and I, I was amazed because I said, oh my gosh, that looks exactly like I did when I was a little child. I'm not my father, you are not a God, but man in right relationship with God is supposed to be the closest thing to God on the planet. That's important because of what God is establishing here. Verse 26, he says this, over all the earth, over all the earth, over all the earth, over all the earth, over all the earth. There's, 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 part, there's, there's a, an understanding that we get from understanding why he made man in his own image. Because then he says this. He releases a defining phrase in how the world is going to function from that day forward. Over all the earth, over all the earth, over all the earth, over all the earth. What is he doing? We, 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 we important. Over all the earth. Who's in charge of the earth? Man. The psalmist picks up on this. Psalm 8, verse 6. You've made him to have dominion over the, all, over the works of your hand, and you have put all things under his feet. What has he made? He's made humanity put all things under his feet. Psalm 115. The heavens, even the heavens are the Lord, but the earth, the earth, the earth, the earth, the earth, he has given to the children of men. God is so committed to his word that the moment he releases those words, now if he's going to operate in the earth, he's going to have to have human agreement. It's God's earth who he's given to man as a gift. The earth was given to humanity as a gift. I get watches as gifts. I don't wear watches because it's just another thing that I have to carry around with me and it's just not my thing. But I keep them. They're prophetic gifts. Get watches a lot of places I go. Amen. <laughs> they remind me. They're on my dresser right now. I have a friend. He's really into watches. He's, he's got a bunch of them in his closet. He shows me them all. I said, that's interesting. Let's go do something else. <laughs> if I have a watch that I've been given and I go you know what, it's my watch. I'm going to give Pastor Brian one of my watches. And I give it to him. Pastor Brian, this is my watch that I'm giving to you. I want to be a blessing to you. And then a few weeks from now, I'm going to an event or something, probably a wedding, because I go to lots of weddings. Something prophetic about that too. And I go, you know, it would look really nice to wear that watch with this suit. And I decide that I'm just going to go in his house and get my watch back. And if I go into his house and I'm looking for his watch and the police come, do you think I could say, guys, I used to own the watch at one time. It's okay. I'm going to jail. It doesn't matter if I owned it at one time. I've given it away now. And I have made Pastor Brian the sole owner of that watch. The reason why this is so important is because 
the body of Christ and the people of God, and, and, and I know we're in Genesis, but everything that God is establishing in Genesis 1 has New Testament application. He says to Peter, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom yes. of heaven. Yeah. New century version says, whatever you allow, that's what I'll allow. Whatever you don't allow, that's what I won't allow. Mm. We have to view ourselves as owners of the world that God has placed us in. Not owners where, you know, when I use that term, sometimes wrong intention believers get really excited, like, get all the gays, get all... No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about that this is also really important. What you'll, you'll see another characteristic that God gives to humanity in a moment. That we don't go to the world to get our needs met. But we go into the world, we're not disconnected from the world, we go into the world to serve the world, to, to, to define the world that we live in, to make the business that we work in a better place, to make the school system that we work in a better place, and to bring glory and honor to God. And we don't just accept things that are happening in our town, in our community, well, you know, it's just getting really bad, the drug... If drugs are bad in this community, guess who needs to do something about it? Hallelujah. People of God. Yeah. Praise God. I've never talked to God about a problem in my city or my life or my ministry. He goes, yeah, that, that one, that one, that's just, I can't help with that one. Verse 28, and then he blessed them. <laughs> it gets better and better. The blessing of the Lord is the divine empowerment for man to live in divine prosperity and wholeness in everything that they do. God at the beginning of the book was consumed with life. Adam was going to live forever. But notice Adam did have a job. Your job is not God's judgment on your life. <laughs> Gets quiet when you say that too. <laughs> I know you might feel like that, but it's just, you know, feelings have nothing to do. <laughs> yeah. But he blessed them to live this abundant life. Here, here was the will of God for Adam. The will of God for Adam was, son, I'm placing you on the earth. And notice that the blessing of the Lord was not connected to any performance from Adam. The moment he stepped, the moment he was created, he goes, you're blessed. You have divine prosperity over you. I'm touching you with my touch of blessing. When you release the blessing on someone, especially in the Old Testament, you were releasing the favor of God upon them. You were releasing the goodness of God upon them to live in total health and freedom and everything. It's a beautiful thing. But here's, here's what's the job for Adam. Adam, I'm going to put you on the earth, and I'm going to place you in charge of the earth. And you're going to get to discover things in this universe that I've created. See, when the earth was created, there's no buildings, there's no running water, there's no internet. I'm glad I don't live during that time. I like running water. I like air conditioning. I like the internet. I like it all. But none of these things existed. But they had the potential to, to be understood, realized. So this was what Adam's job was. At a fellowship with God, he would get to understand the world and govern the world from God's perspective. And he was supposed to be just be busy, multiplying, extending God's kingdom upon the earth. And at the end of the day, God said, okay, you go home to your wife, please, at 6.30. Because he was, he'd be so fascinated with God and, and, and the world around him. Why? He was the owner of the earth. Holy 
part of understanding this, though, too, what's really interesting is that he creates man, and when he creates man, the very next day is a day of rest, right? Not because God was tired, but because he was done. Here's the other thing that I'm convinced of, that the reason, I'm a very type A, task-driven person. You know, I don't do well with indecisive people. You know indecisive people? They're not at the meeting tonight. <laughs> They're the ones who tried to come to the meeting. <laughs> you didn't try, you came. I've also learned this. God never told me to try certain things. He told me to do certain things. Amen. But he, the very next day after he's created, what happens? He gets the day off. You imagine that? Adam, you're in charge of the earth. Okay, I'm ready. This is me. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. What do we need to do? Let's go find some galaxies. This is fun. He goes, no, no, take the day off. I believe part of, I don't understand it fully, but he was trying to teach Adam, you didn't earn this. This is not in your own strength. Receive the image of God and receive what I've called you to do from a place of rest. A key part of your life in God is learning to receive the nature and the characteristics that he's given you. Verse 28, and God said to them, how did Adam understand what he was supposed to do? God spoke to him. The very first voice that Adam hears in the earth is the voice of God. Now, there's some confusion, there, not, not confusion, but there's some debate of whether he actually heard it as an audible voice or what it was. Some people think, and I find it fascinating, I don't really think it matters, but I'm just throwing it out there because it's interesting to me, that God communicated with Adam spirit to spirit, and he just instinctively knew. Why am I saying this? Adam knows what to do because he's heard the voice of God. Who's governing Adam, the voice of God. What qualified Adam to be the owner of the earth? The voice of God. Final characteristic we'll look at in there. Let me just say this. The knowledge of God came to Adam through the voice of God. What was supposed to govern the earth? The knowledge of God. Here it is. Adam, you're in charge. And guess what? I know everything. Read Proverbs. The wisdom of God that created the world has been given to humanity. He who has ears to hear and eyes to see can govern the world with the wisdom of God. You should never, ever, 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 ever say, I don't know what to do. And God's like, no, no, I can help you. I'm right in here. I'm going to help you. Let me help you. Let me help you. The knowledge of God was supposed to govern the voice. The same voice that created the world is now giving Adam instructions on how the world is supposed to function. Here's the last one. And God said, see, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and to every fruit who yields seed itself, to it shall be food. Also to every beast of the, the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given you every green herb for food, and it was so. Why am I saying this? Humanity... Adam and Eve, eventually Eve, were not created to take care of themselves. Everything that Adam needed was either in that garden or could be found in God. The foundational 
way, Adam was supposed to uh, get what he needed was on the earth was this, trust in God, interchangeable with, with faith. I mean, can, it, it's kind of funny, but can you, do you think uh, Adam in his perfection, it's only after they, listen, they agree with the wrong voice that they start questioning what God can do for them. Actually, it began before that. That's how they ended up there. But can you imagine you know, Eve looking at Adam and going, how are we going to pay the light bill? Hey, do you think we'll have enough money for the kids' college? They didn't worry about that. Another important principle, but why, the reason that's so important is this. They, the, they were created perfect, absolutely perfect. Adam, did, Adam and Eve, God did not need version 2.0. No, I'm serious. As, sometimes when I, when I say that, I think about like, how many remember, I remember it was like the first computer I actually started enjoying, Windows 95. I remember like, oh my gosh, you can't get any better than this. This is like awesome. <clears throat> now, I, yeah. now, now I use a Mac. <laughs> but there, 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 there did not need to be any improvement to Adam. But here's another characteristic why that foundational principle is so important is the human body was not meant to have fear, to have worry, to have guilt. Your body was not created to walk with any of that stuff. That's why it will immediately fight it off when it receives it. But the human body was not intended to handle any of that stuff. You were not meant to fear any moment. You're not meant to worry any moment. You're not meant to, to fret any moment of your life. You're, ne- you're never meant to go, what am I going to do? Da, 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 none of that stuff. You were created for complete interdependence upon God. It's a beautiful thing. So now we, we move on to Genesis chapter 2. You'll notice too, we won't look at it tonight, that God places Adam in that perfect garden. Genesis, uh, the beginning of Genesis, about verse 7 in there, 6 or 7, God places Adam, and the reason I'm saying this is because once God speaks to you, he holds you responsible for what he's asked you to do. One of the, one of the, one of the things I learned over and over again with God is he treats you according to what he's told you. That's why when we stand before God, we get judged, right? Not for what we do, but for what he called us to do. It's, it's not a matter of heaven or hell, because if you receive Jesus in your heart, you're getting into heaven. You just might not have a whole lot of crowns to throw at his feet. Right. And don't believe, that, you know, don't believe this. He, there, there are rewards for following God. Hallelujah. There are rewards. Well, we read it tonight. He is a rewarder, what? Of those who diligently seek yeah. him. But in Genesis 2, he puts man in the garden. And what's interesting there, there's a phrase there. It says, places man in the garden. And when he places man in the garden, then the trees grow. Why? Adam's supposed to take care of the trees. Another important part, though, that God is establishing there is he is saying that they're in the world that I live in, in the world that I'm creating, there is no secular life and there is no spiritual life. Everything that Adam was supposed to do was supposed to be a worshipful act unto God. He didn't have God over here and then his job of taking care of the earth over here. It was all interconnected with God. Everything was a worshipful act unto God. Him, 
Stewarding the earth was his act of worship unto God. And here, here I, I, I don't know if you're like me, but when I read scripture, I'm convinced that God has a twisted sense of humor. The reason he does is this, is because he puts man on the earth, he tells him what to do, and notice there, he doesn't tell him anything about the devil. Because <laughs> he already told him what to do. But here's the other thing is, what it, the, the devil, Satan, was, if you, you, you read about how he's described, he's one of the most beautiful created beings you could ever be. But he kind of stepped over that line. He wanted the worship of God. So God is a little New Jersey, I think. He puts man on the earth. He didn't, you know, God, the devil, right? They're not opposites, right? Like, there's no, I like UFC and professional wrestling. Don't judge me. <laughs> Sometimes people go, you know, that's fake, right? I said, no, it's called planned outcomes. <laughs> Sometimes people say to me, well, how do you watch that? It's just, they already know what's going to happen. I said, I said, you ever watch a movie? It's fake. <laughs> it's entertainment. <laughs> but the devil, right? He wants, they're not opposites. God and the devil are not opposites. They ever have a pay-per-view on that one? No one's buying it. Because God doesn't even need to think about the devil and the devil is destroyed. But God doesn't destroy the devil. He leaves him on the earth. That's why it says he's going to and fro. When you're forever condemned, you're probably going to be walking around a lot. Going, oh, what am I going to do with my life? And God leaves the devil on the earth, but then he does this. He creates man in his image. I'm telling you, this is where it gets sneaky. He goes, all right, devil, you want worship? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make something that never existed before. I'm going to make him in my image. And the highest goal of their life is to bring glory to me and to worship and honor me in everything they do. And when they worship and honor me, they'll subdue you, they'll overthrow you, and then one day I'm going to throw you into hell. But here's the thing. I don't have time for you. And I, I, I'm going to show you that I'm superior over you. So I'm going to create this man in my image. And you're going to see that I can create things in my image that have power over you. The devil was created to be subdued by you. Genesis 2, verse 19. Adam is still perfect here. He's functioning in God's original intention for him. Out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of this field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Verse 20 is really important. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to birds of the air, to every beast of the field. Catch the pattern there. In Genesis 1, God speaks, God speaks, God speaks, God speaks. Then he goes, man, you're now in charge. How does he know what to do? The voice of God. The knowledge of God comes through the voice of God. Now, what is happening? It's a picture of life, of, 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 work, uh, of co-laboring with God. God is still the source of all things. Adam is not the source of anything on the earth. But he brings the animals to Adam. And he brings them to Adam, and, and he's the source. But now he's, he's releasing Adam to, to, to be his uh, authority in the earth. And now God was speaking, God was speaking. Now who is speaking? Adam is speaking. 
I believe those animals didn't know the difference between God or Adam because it was simply the word of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we know, biblically speaking, when you name something, you actually prophesy its destiny, you prophesy its characteristics. So what is Adam doing? He's calling into existence the characteristics that those animals were supposed to have. Fascinating stuff. Notice, too, that when Adam names those animals, he named the dog. I'm sure he named the dog. He might have been a little confused by the cat, thinking maybe the devil created, but that's a different subject. (laughs) He wondered, but he still did his job. Notice, too, though, the... Adam is not being governed by intellect, reason, his mind. He is, he's being governed by what? There's two things that I see here. How, does, how, how is Adam able to name those animals? You don't find any verse that says he went to Montana State to get a, a PhD in biology. What qualified him? The voice of God. The voice of God qualified him. The voice of God, and second thing I see there, is a brilliant mind. What kind of a mind is able to name animal after animal after animal after animal after animal after animal after animal? Brilliant mind. What enabled Adam to name the animals was a commission by God to have dominion to be over all the earth and the brilliant mind that God had given him. Now, Genesis 3 we know. We know it might not be the next day, but you find something very interesting. The enemy comes along, he comes in the form of a snake, and he begins to dialogue. And Eve, instead of subduing and having dominion, she dialogues. Notice too here, he, the devil, had access to the ability to communicate with them. There are two realms of communi- of, uh, that we hear from in the earth. The realm of darkness of this world system could be a demon, could be a principality, could be rare. You know, sometimes people say the devil's after me. I don't think you're that dangerous. He might be, but it's very rare because he's not in the same place. Usually a little demon talking to you. And a lot of times he talks through people. But instead of subduing, she dialogues. Instead of telling her, no, this is what God has said, she dialogues, and she agrees with the wrong voice. This is, a, this is a principle that governs the earth. The most predominant voice that you listen to here on the earth defines how you live here on the earth. And notice, too, that they are absolutely perfect. They're absolutely perfect. There's no flaw. There's no sin. But they have a choice in the voice that they are going to listen to. And their choice has consequences. They agree with the devil. And notice, too, that the devil is not a spirit devil. He's a soul devil. What is the enticer? Enticers are with the eyes. God is a spirit God. Devil is a soulish devil. He loves to define people by simply what they can see, feel, and think. And he needs personalities to operate through. The devil doesn't steal any from anyone. The devil doesn't rob from anyone except through people who agree with him. 
So their choices define them. They move from perfection not to perfection. And notice, too, how sin steals man's dignity. You have the owner of the earth who's now going, man, I got, I got to clothe myself. I got to take care of myself. What is he doing? He's immediately looking within himself instead of looking to God. Their choice corrupts humanity forever. Don't believe your choices do not matter. Sometimes people think, well, I just got this little area in my life. It's not affecting anyone, and you know, nobody knows about it. Your choices affect everyone around you. Amen. <clears throat> yeah. That's right. DNA of man is corrupted forever. Notice, too, that this is fascinating stuff to me, that Adam is going to live a whole lot longer after the world is corrupted. Jewish history says that he did not... T- he was a very depressed man and did not like to talk about that. I would too. Perfect, unperfect, your fault that it's not. That's a lot of Dr. Phil couch time. <laughs> DNA of man is corrupted, but also the earth is corrupted. And something comes into the earth that God never intended. A system came into the earth. A world system came into the earth. It's called the Babylonian system. Don't think 666, don't think stuff. Just simply define the Babylonian system as this, is man's way of trying to make it in this world without God. How am I going to make it? How am I going to resource myself? What am I going to do? A number of years ago, I, um, I was watching this uh, program. I was in Puerto Rico. I had a few hours off. I don't normally watch programs like this, but I was kind of flipping through the channels. And I was finding this reality show about this young man who's in real estate in New York, and he's about to get married, and he, he, he lives in this beautiful apartment, you know, probably top 1% of the world can live in this place, and his fiance is very upset with him, and she says to him, she says, I need you to help me with the wedding. She says, woman! Hmm, he didn't say that. That's just my translation. You don't understand. And he said something, I have 12 employees who need me to basically deliver, or else... We're not going to, you know, they need me to make the right decisions to make it. What is that? Even as an extremely successful young man, he believes the classic lie of the world system. I'm resourcing myself. I need to work harder. I need to do better. I need to do all this stuff. And he's putting a weight and a pressure upon himself that he was never meant to carry and that if he keeps it on him, will eventually destroy him. What's important, though, to understand about all this, the paradise that God intended became something that God never intended. God's desire for the earth remained the same. Almost immediately, you see, Genesis 3, he goes... He goes, hey, I'm already promising there's coming a Messiah to redeem humanity. I love this. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus had already stepped ahead to redeem humanity. Yes. Yes. But you also notice this. 
God's operation, and I just skipped through it just for the sake of where I feel like God wants to go. It, it doesn't mean that God was not unapparent in the Old Testament. What does he do? Notice that when he wants to, the earth to look like Kevin, he finds a man in right alignment with him who's supposed to multiply, who's supposed to be fruitful and create a, a whole race of people who own the earth and who give glory to God in everything that they do. So part of his plan was he finds this man called Abram. I'm telling you, God has a sense of humor. Abram's an old guy. Too pucker to tucker. <laughs> no, you think he does this funny stuff. If you, you, like, some people are like, I love movies. I'm like, read the Bible. It's so much better. It's reality-based stuff. It's almost like he enjoys going to people like, this is completely impossible. So here's what I'm going to do through your life. <laughs> but notice, this is what he does in, in uh, Genesis. Everybody still with me? All right. Genesis, the 12th chapter. Now the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family. You know, famous verse if we read scripture a lot. And from your father's land to a land I will show you. Notice this. He starts with the man. He wants to make covenant with this man, but his goal is a nation. Another, another reason why you see the enemy trying to destroy this concept of nations and sovereignty, God created nations. Now, nations are not above the kingdom of God, culture is not above all that, but God is the creator of nations and cultures and boundaries according to the book of Acts. From your family and for your father's house, and I will make you a great nation. Why? I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Notice, too, just as a side note, that the blessing of the Lord that begins in Genesis 1 continues with everyone in covenant with God. That same blessing is continually restored. And you shall be a blessing, and I will bless you. And I will curse the... I will, I, will cur- I will curse him who curses you. And you and all the families of the earth will, shall be blessed. The reason I'm reading that is because since the earth came out of alignment, he's trying to find a man he can come into covenant with. Why? So that the blessing that he gave to Abraham would be restored. Not The blessing is not just for Abraham, though. It's for a nation to be raised up. And you'll find that when he deals with this nation, he gives them almost the same exact scenario of, of us coming into the kingdom. He goes, listen, I'm choosing you not because you're great, not because you can do anything, but I'm choosing you to display my glory through you. And the reason he makes covenant with them is he wants all the other nations of the earth to see what it's like for God to govern an entire nation. Yes. And he gives them law. Some people dismiss the law. But if you read some of the law, and if you read even the book of Leviticus, <laughs> who I've seen people make fun of, if you, li- if you read some of that stuff, probably m- hundreds of thousands of, of lives would have been saved because they would have, you know, one of the, the reasons why so many people died in the Civil War, if you got a cut, they just cut your arm off, they bring the next guy, just cut him off. No duh, infection. Yeah. Read the Bible. But his point in that is not just his chosen people, Israel, but out of Israel, the nations of the earth would go, there is a God. And notice that the, the, the covenant that he had with them would be displayed in every area of life. Economics, government, education, how you treat the poor. Ownership of land. 
What's one of the, one of the beauties that you see there is that he tells, he tells the, when they're obviously agricultural society, he goes, leave the outside of there, leave it to the poor. But he doesn't say pick it up for them and give it to them. Why? Because there's dignity in being able to resource yourself. Just want to point that out. So obviously the nation of Israel, but I believe God still has covenant with Israel. They are his chosen people. Now, they still need Yeshua, the promised Messiah. That's why Paul would later say, one new man in Christ. The Lord is teaching us about that. But Jesus comes along because they don't fully fulfill, but what God promised, God fulfilled. And Jesus comes into the earth, obviously in the New Testament, but what's important about the life of Jesus is this. Everything that you see in the life of Jesus, God intended for Adam. Jesus was completely sinless. God intended Adam to be completely sinless. Jesus, there's there's a fascinating statement in John that I've been meditating on for weeks. It says about the perfect son of God. He said, I'm learning from my father. Think about Jesus. Jesus is not, he's fully God, fully man. But according to Philippians 2, the, the humility of Jesus is that He comes as fully God. He's the one who speaks the universe into existence. But for the redemption of people, he puts his divinity aside and models for us what a man in right relationship with God looks like. It's amazing, the humility of Jesus. And notice the cross of Jesus was of no benefit to the Godhead. Everything he does is about people. You know, some people are like, oh, you know, he needs... No, God doesn't need people. To believe God needs people is to believe that God needs something outside of itself. After the book of Genesis, he goes, oh, whatever, we're done with this. Could have just been done with the whole thing. But his passion was for people. His passion was for people to live in life and wholeness and everything that he came to give them. How do we know that it's possible for Adam to walk on water? Because Jesus walked on water. And what what does he say? He constantly refers to this strength in his ministry. He says, I I only do what I see my father do in heaven. What what does he mean? I'm, I'm perfectly trusting that God has already made a way for me on the earth. You never see Jesus going, and you'll see Jesus models. Jesus models what God intended Adam to model. Jesus is not moved by what comes in front of him. He's not moved. He's, he, what I mean by that is he's not going, oh man, what are we going to do? You know, the treasury's a little low. Oh, what are we going to do? He knows. He knows because he's sent by the Father, the Father has resourced him in every way to do the task upon the earth. He's not moved by the opinion of people. He's not even moved by his own family. They go, hey, your mother and your brothers are here. And he goes, these are my mother, these are my my brothers and sisters, those who do my will. His brothers even come to him like, hey man, you're gonna do some miracles, you better do some miracles. He's not moved by that. He's moved by one agenda, the voice of God. He doesn't move until his father has him move. 
Now, the, 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 the distinction between Adam and Jesus is this, as a human. For the first time, I said he was perfect. Only God can improve upon perfection. How does he improve upon perfection? In Adam, he walks with humanity. In Jesus, for the first time in human history, he lives inside of a man. He became the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Godhead resided inside of Jesus. What you'll also notice, too, about the life of Jesus is he doesn't jump into ministry right away. Marketplace ministry first. He's a carpenter. I guarantee you his stuff was not on sale. You imagine looking at Jesus. Jesus, can I get a little discount on this? It's perfect. He just give you that probably that look. Okay, yeah, full price, no problem, full price. Mm-hmm. And notice too that Jesus did not come, and maybe we'll touch on this later in the weekend. Jesus did not come to establish a religion. He came to show us the kingdom. He came to show us deliverance from the world system. That's why I came with the kingdom of God. And what's the first message he preaches? We know as good biblical students that the first time you see something in scripture, it defines the strength, defines the foundation. He says this, repent, change your thinking. Because if you don't change your thinking, you won't be able to receive the kingdom that's right here and right now. Change the way you think. Because if you don't change your thinking, you'll, you'll, you'll miss the kingdom that's right in front of you that's available right here, right now, as they say in the South, right now. Now, here's the beauty of God. He knew, and, and, and I want to underscore the point, too, that the foundation of even Jesus' relationship as a man on the earth was his complete trust in the Father. Everything that Jesus needed when he walked on the earth, God had already resourced him. Just like Adam, everything that Adam needed, it's already on the earth. And he comes teaching this message, repent, Change the way you think. Change the way you think. What was brilliant in Adam? His mind. So immediately he's focusing on the mind of humanity. He's saying, you got to change the way you think. This whole world system and even the religious system that's been created out of my law has messed people up. And so you'll have to change the way you think to receive this kingdom that I brought here to you. And notice when he teaches, he teaches about, about this kingdom. His teaching is centered on this kingdom. And it was not just teaching, it was teaching and then demonstration. Teaching and then demonstration. You, 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 uh, you know when they have uh, these commercials now on TV, you know, they, they usually later in the evening or something. <laughs> They'll show you these beautiful resorts, these cruises you can go on. What are they doing? They're trying to show you a taste of what you could experience on this vacation. That's how he showed us the kingdom. He's saying, hey, I'm telling you about this kingdom, but let me also show you what this kingdom looks like. Let me show you the peace of this kingdom. Let me show you the power of this kingdom to overcome the world that you live in. And so the foundation of this kingdom is, the foundation that he gives is this absolute trust in God that he gives us. 
And here's Jesus' classic teaching on the concept of faith. You still with me? Yeah. <clears throat> See how much longer we go. We won't go too much longer tonight. This is good that we have multiple sessions. Mark the 11th chapter, verse 12. Now on the next day when they had come from Bethany, he was hungry. Notice the humanity of Jesus. He, he was like us in every way, but never, ever sinned. That's why he can identify with our weaknesses. And seeing afar, afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not seasoned for figs. I understand, because I, I did some, I've looked at this for a number of years, that in Israel, those figs are supposed to produce year-round. In response, Jesus said, let no one eat fruit from you ever again, and his disciples heard it. Notice that Jesus speaks to a tree. And we'll see here in a minute, when he speaks to that tree, and we connect this with what Jesus also told us about the Gospels, I only speak what my Father says. I only speak what my Father says. Adam speaks to the animals. Now Jesus has come as the second Adam, but also as the last Adam, because when Jesus came, you didn't need another Adam, another Jesus. Excuse me. He speaks, and he, he, doesn't, he doesn't look up and say to God, I hope it worked. Why? Because he knows he's hitting the bullseye every time he speaks what God told him to speak. He doesn't question it. Now, there's a little minor story in there about Jesus overturning the temples. It's very minor. Yeah. <laughs> we'll skip that. I'm telling you, Jesus, the Jesus that we portray or that the church wants to portray the world is not the Jesus of the Bible. Now in the morning, as they passed by, this is verse 20 now, Mark 11. They saw the fig tree dried up from the roots, and Peter, remembering, said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you have cursed has withered away. So now notice verse 21, that exactly what Jesus said to that tree happened. And notice, too, that he, this is not... This is not Jesus acting as God. This is Jesus acting as a man filled with the Spirit in right relationship with God. The Apostle Paul would later say in Ephesians 5, be imitators of Jesus. And notice that is not an option. That's true. Sometimes American believers think when God says something, it's like a buffet. And Jesus answered and said to him, now this is the, 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 he noticed that Jesus connects the words of God with speaking to things. Peter's amazed about it. And now what does he do? He's teaching on faith. Fascinating stuff. So Jesus answered and said to him, have faith in God. Now, in the Bible basic English translation, it says, have God's faith. I've looked at this for a number of years. I'm not a scholar, but I'm telling you, when the leading Greek scholar says that the best translation of that scripture is, have God's faith. So this is, the, the, in Jesus' teaching, in Jesus' teaching on the subject of faith, he actually makes this declaration that God moves in faith. But this is where it gets really, really exciting for us as believers. He says, have God's faith. Have God's faith. God, ha God moves in faith, and this is what happens. You have this 
Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've already seen when they decide to move, they have this confidence in himself that we're going to create the world, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. They, they have no question it's going to happen. So in that confidence in himself, they're moving in faith, and we'll see an example of this. When they move in faith, and that same faith, that same confidence that they have in themselves, that they invite humanity to have that very same confidence. In, in, in the Trinity, it's in, it, it is, is within that community. In humanity, it takes humanity out of themselves and into God. Really important. Faith is God's enduring attributes to fulfill that which his mind and heart have deemed desirable. In 1 Samuel 2, verse 35, it describes God as having a heart and a mind. Faith is an ability which God possesses within himself to achieve his divine purpose. The community of the Trinity, known as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, though distinct persons, are one God in complete unity. Amen to that? It's really fascinating, right? You got three distinct persons, almost in the original language. That's why Muslims also say, you believe in three gods. Because it almost looks, but they're three three persons, one God. Fascinating. When the Godhead operates in faith, they achieve the desired result. Amazingly, this same confidence that the Godhead has, has, he has made available to all humanity. Notice, too, that God, according to John 4, is a spirit. Amen? And that spirit calls things that be not as though they are. Let's look at uh, Romans 4. You still with me? Therefore, verse 16, therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, of faith it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but to also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. How many are in Christ? Raise your hand. If you're in Christ, you are grafted into the blessing of Abraham. Amen. Amen. So it says we're of faith. Who is the father of us all? As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of him who believed. Now, now you'll watch. God who gives life to the dead and calls things which do not exist as though they did. Now notice there that it's speaking about Abraham. God speaks to Abraham in Genesis, he goes, in you, I'm making a nation. I'm giving you an heir. I know it's way beyond that time, but it is possible. So what happens? Abraham eventually, you know, what's fascinating there, it says that he receives it by faith, but he initially had a little trouble receiving it. There's years there. There are years there. But here's, the fast, here's what's interesting about God, and I'm convinced about this. Once Abraham came into faith, God forgot that he ever doubted it would happen. That's how powerful faith is. And that's how powerful the forgiveness of God is. God is treating him according to his righteous choice of faith. So when he speaks to him, Abraham is receiving the, God's ability to call things that do not exist as though they are in his life. Where do we see that? 
we see that principle operating in the book of Genesis. God is calling things, be not as though they are. God moves in faith. That's the reason we start in Genesis tonight, to see that principle in operation. God calls things that do not exist as they are. God is spirit. What happens to you when you get born again? Your spirit is recreated. Amen. Your old life is so bad, he doesn't want anything to do with it. He goes, he goes what are we going to do with that old life? It's still going to be, oh, we're going to nail it completely to that tree. But here's what we get to do. We get to give them a whole new spirit. And just like in Jesus, I'm, we're going to come live on the inside of them. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new. That word new is not just renovated. It's like if you had this room and you renovated the room, you turned the stage somewhere else, that the room is different, but you've renovated it. That's not what God did with your life. He nailed your old life to a tree and he gave you a whole new spirit. But here's the thing. Here's the beautiful thing about God. Everything that God asked Adam to do, he'd give him the power to do. Everything that he's asked you to do, he's given you the power to do. The ability to even respond to the gospel message is a gift from God, and it's called the measure of faith. Amen. That foundational way he desired to relate to all humanity, he gives it to us right up front. No matter how you got born again. I know, I, I know one person, it's amazing how she got born again. I said, how did you get born again? She said, well, 9-11 happened. I never grew up going to church. I never desired Jesus. But one person, one time, she went to Florida State, told me about this Jesus. And when 9-11 happened, I said, there must be a God. And I called the one believer I knew, and they led me to Jesus. Other people just had dreams. Other people actually just cried out, if there's a real God, they actually heard God speak back, my name is Jesus Christ. God responds to the honest and sincere heart. That's right. That's right. But that ability to even respond to God is a gift from God. Just like Adam didn't earn, earn anything, just like you didn't earn any of that. So here's where he tells us this. For I say to you, this Romans 12, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than you ought, but to think soberly, soberly, as God, God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, right? For by grace, what? Through faith, not of yourselves. By grace, through faith. By grace, through faith. To even receive grace, you've got to go through faith. That's why he says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works, least anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk therein. In the kindness of God, we were insufficient in our own regenerated state to even respond to God without the very gift of God himself inside of us. Hallelujah. 
The gift of faith reaches into eternity for us to become everything that God intended us to be before the foundation of the world. Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago for each of us. The gift of faith crosses the divide of what God set into motion in eternity. He dies on the cross, what, about two, maybe now 2,500 years ago. He paid the price so everyone could be right with him. Faith gives us the ability to access that free gift that he's given us, and he gives it to every person as a free gift. So you come into the kingdom, what? By faith, right? Amen. And we'll, we'll land with this and probably pick it up tomorrow night. Well, two, two things we'll define here. We come into the kingdom by faith, and most believers go, amen to that. I know there's not that English. You live by faith. But your entrance into the kingdom defines how you're supposed to live into this kingdom. What happens, the challenge is this. Many believers, you inherit this unlimited, unshakable kingdom. But they come into the kingdom, they come in with their own experiences, they come in with their own traumas, they come in with their own ways of doing things. And they bring that into the kingdom, and often they filter how God wants to teach them through the knowledge that they've already experienced, so it makes it difficult for them to relate to the kingdom that God has given them. But the moment you came into the kingdom, that's why everything is supposed to be on the table. And this is where it gets a whole lot fun. Uh, 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 this is where it gets really fun walking with God. The moment you come into the kingdom, you are now a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means that all the money belongs to him. That means your career belongs to him. That means you're in a new family. That means all the negativity done against you before you got born again, it's completely severed. There are no victims in the kingdom of God. So if you're in the kingdom and still blaming the ex-husband from 10 years ago, seven years ago, it's you who are on the wrong side of the blood of Jesus. It doesn't mean it, it was right. It doesn't mean it wasn't painful. It just means that the moment you came into the kingdom, it has no power to define how you live from that moment forward. The power to overcome this world system has been given to you the moment you come into the kingdom of God. He still gives you a choice, though. He even told the nation of Israel, you got this choice you can make between the blessing of the Lord and the curse of this world system. Listen, God doesn't curse anyone. We're cursed by our own poor choices to choose not to walk in him. That's where the curse is. You choose to keep mingling the world system and the godly system, it's difficult to get God's results. That's why the foundation of the kingdom is seek first the kingdom of God. Let me, let me make something clear too uh, that I think we'll, we'll close with tonight. It, just defining biblical faith especially in our culture today. Because many people now, they are adding God to their spirituality. 
Oh, Jesus is cool. Yeah, I receive him, you know. Receiving biblical faith is not just agreeing that something's true. True biblical faith takes you out of yourself and complete dependence upon God. It is a recognition that you are not a sovereign on your own. It is a recognition that you are a human person in deep need of God. Biblical faith is not even going, oh yeah, I believe God does miracles. Oh yeah, I believe believe God still speaks today. That's not faith. Faith is, I'm not, only, not only do I believe that's true, I'm placing my trust in that truth. Really important stuff. Because so much now, in, I'm concerned that even some people now that are, 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 think they're believers are really not believers. They have simply added God to their spirituality. That's how you can come up with this perverted stuff like, oh yeah, I, I love God with all my heart, but I'm living a homosexual lifestyle. And God's okay with it. What are they doing? They're serving a God in their own image. Our hands are always extended to anyone struggling with any addiction. But you cannot say, I love God and I also love this too. He's the sovereign. He decides what's right and what's wrong. And I said this to young people another uh, number of days ago. I don't know where I was speaking. But I said to them, listen, God is never withholding anything from you. I said it Sunday morning at the church I that. If God didn't say anything about these things, we wouldn't say anything about them. But what he is, is he's the one who created you. So he knows how life best functions, right? He is consumed with life. He's consumed with, with humanity living in wholeness. So he didn't intend for us to live that way. So that's why he asked us to live a different way. Because he knows what's best for us. He knows what love is. Faith is not simply an, in, an agreement or intellectual acceptance that certain things are true, true. It's possible to believe that a reality exists, but never place my faith in that truth to operate on my behalf. One might agree that Jesus walked the earth, taught like no other prophet, performed miracles like no other man, and even believed the fact that he died and was resurrected on the third day, but never place one's faith in that reality. Faith is placing one's complete trust in how God has chosen to reveal himself in scripture. Jesus revealed himself as the way, the truth, and the life. It is God's revelation of himself that must become the basis of our faith, not our belief in who we think he is. He's the one who defines the parameters. Why? Because he's consumed with life. You know, I know there is a place to surrender in God. But I'm telling you, choosing to let him take care of your life is a beautiful thing. You know what? It's rough to serve the devil. It's rough to not know who you just woke up next to and have to go take tests. It's rough to experience tragedy. That's rough. That's what's rough. So that was part one tonight. We call that foundation. I didn't even get through another. I usually get through all that, but we went some places tonight. Do you receive this word tonight? Thank you, Lord.
I believe that there's an invitation tonight to, um, with God's help, to just make this fresh commitment to trust God with everything. Amen. To walk by faith and not by sight. And the Lord says to the group of people here, I want to give you the eyes of eagles to see from my perspective as never before. The Lord says, I see this again, I saw it earlier, I see a key of intercession being given to the group of people here. It's a key to worship and pray and to legislate from the place of worship and prayer as never before. The Lord says, I want you to see as I see. I want you to see reality from my perspective. I want you to see my victory in every circumstance that you're in. I want to break through, not only in your family, but in this community as never before. And the Lord says, I want to draw you together as one, unified under the banner of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, unified under the thunder of my voice. And as you're unified under the thunder of my voice, you will begin to see from my perspective. And as you see from my perspective, you'll speak from my perspective. And when you speak from my perspective, the angels will move on your behalf. This is what I saw earlier tonight as we were praying. I saw angels waiting for divine assignments. And we know that angels move according to the word of God. And the Lord says, if you will speak Speak what I'm saying. There's angelic release yes. on your behalf in this yes. city. I see angels going to the yes. streets in the city. I see them yes, releasing Lord. light. I see them opening up the heavens where they say it's brass. And the Lord would say, no longer say it's brass. But the Lord says, say that it is the season of the open heaven. The Lord says it is a season of the open heaven over your life. It is a season of a revelation of my son in your life as never before. I see a door. I keep seeing this door. The Lord says there is a an open door, an open door into my throne room, an open door into my face, an open door into my glory. It's a glory that I desire to touch every fabric of your life. It's a door that I, de- that I desire my glory to touch your mind and your heart. It's a door of freedom. It's a door of wholeness. It's a door of beauty. I just see like a wave from my right to the left just going across this auditorium of the fire of God. So just lift your hands and just receive it. Just receive his fire. Just receive his presence. And even, even uh, just as that wave moves, I believe uh, God is healing somebody's right knee. It's like inside, there's like a clicking in your knee and the Lord is healing your knee tonight. Be healed in Jesus' name. I don't know if it's the same person, but be healed in your right shoulder. Be healed in your right shoulder. Like a sore throat, be healed in your sore throat. Be healed in that, in Jesus' name. And now I just actually just see this this cloud of God's fire just in this room. Father, we just received that fire tonight. Some of you will feel like a tingling and a fire on your hands. Some, someone's like, uh, you'll feel like a fire on your chest, just a marking and a commissioning from heaven tonight. I actually see Jesus just touching some of your ears. Jesus physically just touching some of your ears and you're going to hear his voice as never before. 
mandara bukaya. There's a there's a there's a marking that the Holy Spirit wants to do for us tonight. It's a it's a marking for grace to walk by faith and not by sight as never before. So if you say yes to that, just stand to your feet. Mandara Mandara Would you just lift your hands and just repeat this? Let's say this together. There's something powerful in our unity tonight. There's something powerful when we're in the room and God is moving. We're just coming into agreement. Say this. Father God, God, with your help, help, I choose choose to walk by faith faith and not by sight. sight. To hear your voice. To to delight in your voice. voice. All the days of my life. life. I thank you today. That I'm moving into an upgrade. I'm walking by faith. Increase in faith. And glory to glory. Now, I just feel like the Lord wants us also to do this together. There's something about the sound of the people of God. And I'm just going to count to three, and it's three is not spiritual, but on the count of three, I just want you to just lift your voice unto God, just this, this unified shout unto God of the sound of the people of God taking their authority in this region. Don't worry about the per- what the person next to you thinks. Make yourself of no reputation. It's a good thing. So on three, and actually... I believe some of you, if you'll just put your faith in Jesus too, because Jesus is in this room, your healing will happen through your shout. One, we're just going to lift our voice. One, two, three. Yes! Yes, Yes, Lord. Lord, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, every restriction off the body of Christ in this season, in this region, we say it's being broken. I say every place where the enemies kept people bound, we say they're breaking free. I speak freedom to your mind and your heart. I declare that you'll, you'll love the voice of God. You'll say yes to the voice of God. And you will build your house on a sure foundation. I say that as even as it was for Peter, that he heard the voice of Jesus call him. I say that God will cause you to walk on water in this season, even in the middle of the storm. And as you keep your focus on him, you'll walk. At where you never have. Even some of you, will, it will actually be literal water. Others, you will walk in places that your family has never gone before. You'll break that generational thing of poverty. You'll break that thing where miracles were not in your family line. And I bless you to walk 
where you've never walked before. Sir, in the back there with the, uh, the beard there, the black shirt, I kept seeing actually when we were praying a minute ago, Jesus was right in front of you and he was touching your ears and he was just, sometimes I'll see him often just put his finger in people's ear and then pull it out and the word of the Lord's going to come to you and you have a prophetic gift, not just a prophetic gift, you're a prophet and the Lord wants you to open your mouth because he's going to fill it in this season as never before and now he's standing in front of you, he's putting his hand on your heart and there's a divine commission, the fire of God's going to go through you and it's going to be like fire shut up in, in your bones and your prophetic gift will launch and accelerate as you study the word of God. I believe you're a man who loves the word of God but it will be refined through study and meditation of the word of God and there's a commissioning to taking place tonight. There's an angel putting oil. It's on your left shoulder going down your arm and it's just going all over you. And there's a shift and divine change, even as the prophet spoke to Samuel, even as Samuel spoke to Saul, that it said that, that a different a spirit of another man came upon him. The spirit that God has intended you to walk in is being released in your life tonight. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Father, we just give you thanks. We give you great thanks, Lord. Give you great thanks for everything you've done tonight. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Can you be seated for a moment? I want to read to you uh, a quick story here. Um, From John, the sixth chapter. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, and he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now Passover, feast of the Jews, this is John 6, if you want to follow along. The Jews was near, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, and that every one of them have a little. Then one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad who has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make the people sit down. And there was was much grass in the place. And the men sat down in the number of 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to his disciples, and his disciples to those sitting, and likewise to the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that they may remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered him up, filled the 12 baskets with fragments of five barley loaves, which were left by those who had eaten. Then, the, then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, truly, the, uh, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Uh, in a moment here, we're going to uh, receive an offering for our ministry. And notice that I said we're going to receive an offering. I don't take offerings because I don't want to take anything you don't want to give. But uh, there's a number of things that, you use this story, but uh, 
there's a number of things I want to say. As a believer, you have to realize that you are called to be a resource house to the world around you. Got one amen, it's still true. (laughs) You serve the God who owns everything. The only way the world sees that our God owns everything is that we have the ability to resource the world around us. Small thinking and unbiblical thinking is thinking this, that I I just want enough just for myself and just for my family. If If I understand God's commission for every person in this room, if I just have enough for myself, I can't extend my hand to you. I can't bring you into my home. I can't provide certain things that you're in need of. Why? Because I just have enough for myself. So abundance is our mandate from heaven. But here's the other thing. Abundance doesn't have anything to do with with you resourcing yourself. It has to do with your ability to cooperate with God to receive that abundance. So Jesus says, hey, what do you guys have? And immediately they're thinking just according to what they have, what they have in the budget, what they can do, this and that. And he goes, no, no, just give me what you have. He goes, what do you have? Five loaves and two fishes. So Jesus says, let me have that. And notice Jesus doesn't go, hey, guys, I'm just going to take care of it. Why? Because you'll see in every miracle in the Gospels, Jesus doesn't just wave the Jesus magic wand. He makes people participators in what he is doing. What do you have? Why? What is he saying? He says, he says, the ability to be a resource to the world around you is hidden in what's in your hand. Because your seed doesn't just meet a present need, it unlocks your future. So they, he gives it to Jesus, they follow him, but I believe the miracle doesn't happen in Jesus' hand, it happens in the disciples' hands. Why? He's inviting them into the miraculous. He takes what they have, gives it, they do exactly as he says, and now it's feeding a multitude. The fish and the loaves gets multiplied in the hands of Jesus. And this is what happens in our giving. In our giving, we, 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 uh, See, giving, giving, if you think that giving is about money, you've thought about it incorrectly. Giving is an act of worship unto God. Giving is going, God, you are my source for all things. God, I'm, I'm in this, I'm, though I'm on this earth, you are my source and provider of all things. I, don't, I am not subject to this world system. I don't live on a fixed income because in the kingdom, there's no fixed anything. You said, obey your voice. And so as an act of worship, here's what I'm going to do, God. Not, not only he, first, he just tells you what the fruit. You know, if, if you have trouble tithing, you don't understand the nature of God. That's just your problem. That's your problem. Because you're still thinking, if I give this, I'm not going to have enough money for this. You're still trying to resource yourself. That's where you're getting messed up. You don't, you don't believe God can take care of you. But he'd like to take care of you. But if you, if you choose to withhold what he's asked for, then he says, now you're on your own in that area. I'd like to help you, but this is how I can help you in that area. I have people all the time, one of the number one things, they come to me, they said, pray for, we, we're believing God for finances. We, we're, we're struggling. I said, okay, let's start here. And they said, what? I said, do you tithe? No, sometimes. That means No. <laughs> 
and I love you, but you'll probably need to go to someone else because this is the only way I know. So here's what happens. We give our 10%. He opens up the window of heaven. But then, then 10% is just the beginning. That's just where it gets fun. He just told you what to do at the first 10%. So this is what happens. In this case, he, needs, he, he doesn't need, but he's going to use that five loaves and two fishes. It's going to feed the multitude who are hungry. Jesus demanded that they be a resource to the multitudes. In other translations, it says, the disciples, like, they, they get real, you know, they get real, they use the wisdom. They go, hey, send them away. You know, it's getting late. And he goes, no, let's feed them. They didn't ask to be sent away. And Jesus is like, let's be a blessing to them. And they're going, that's going to break the whole budget, Jesus. He goes, no, no, no. What do you have in your hand? So what happens is, their seed, those loaves and two fishes, is meet a natural need. When you give an offering tonight, you help meet a natural need. Our ministry, 11 nations last year. We don't, ask, we don't ask for any amount. We just say, God, send us, and God provides it. That's what you get to give to. We got, you know, we got people who work for us, all that stuff. That's a natural thing that gets taken care of. But it's also a supernatural thing. Because when you give it to our ministry or any ministry, if you choose not to give tonight, no problem. But if, if you, whatever God puts on your heart, but if you choose to do that, you also give it, here's what you gotta understand. When you give an offering or your tithe, you're giving it to your high priest, Jesus. And when you give it to your high priest, Jesus, as it steps into him, it multiplies. Think about this little boy who was sent to the Jesus crusade. He comes with five loaves and two fishes. You imagine him going home, he's got more than enough. It met a natural need, but it also secured this young man's future. That's what happens with your giving. You get to meet the vision of a ministry that's come your way. You get to participate in that, and that's a, a, a biblical thing, that those who hear can respond and give back to the vision. But it's also this. It's also this dual thing. And here's one of my prayers as a, as a minister of the gospel. This is the posture I have. That every dollar that ever comes to in our ministry, that people would be way blessed beyond anything that I have ever been blessed with. Why? Because I, I want to take the, the, the posture of the apostle Paul. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. What's he saying that? He's saying that to his partners. He's saying to the people who partnered with him that as you've given, my God will supply all of your needs. Does God care what you give? He absolutely does. If he tells you to give this amount, you know, he's very specific with me. See, I'm not religious about money. I'll tell you what the Bible says. And then you can choose to do whatever you want a bit with it. So, Gary, we got some envelopes back there. If you want to give by check, you can make it out to for such time as this. I give by credit card. You can give by credit card on there. If, you want to, if you're filling out a credit card, please write it legibly. We love tongues, but we don't want to interpret what you wrote on that envelope. So he has envelopes back there if you want to, want to give that way. If you want to give through cash and get giving credit, you can just raise your hand or give an envelope. And then we'll pray over your Thank you very much for being attentive tonight. Tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, right? Yep, 7 yeah. Please come back tomorrow night.
thank you in advance for your giving, but we're going to pray over your seed here in a minute. Yeah, if you, yeah, we'll make sure you get given credit, all that wonderful stuff. When you're ready to give, why don't you just lift your offering in your hair? I want to pray for it. Uh, I, I don't think it's wrong to pass the buckets, but I don't pass buckets. I like, to, I like people to come up as families and just give their offerings. So is there an offering basket? Oh, right up here. We'll put these up. Oh, yeah. We could just put a basket up here. But in, in the Old Testament... In the Old Testament, when they gave an offering, they would come as a family, and they would lift up their offering to God, and they would remind God of what he said about their finances, and they would give it as an act of worship unto God. And they would say, God, this is what you said, that if we brought your tithe and our offering into the storehouse, you would open up the windows of heaven. And so, Lord, we're putting your word, we're putting, we're putting our trust in your word, and they gave it as an act of worship. So... I'll pray over your offering and then, oh, wonderful. Thank you very much, Pastor. Why don't we just stand? Then you can come after we pray. If you want to, you can just lift your seat in the air. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you. According to Deuteronomy 28, that as your people obey your voice, that there's a commanded blessing tonight. Father, I ask no matter what the amount, no matter what you've told them to do tonight, I ask that you would fulfill their word in their life. Father, would you break us free in any area of our life from this, the bonds of this world system? Yes. Thank you. Uh, there's someone specifically in this room, you, you are constantly, it's not just a thought, but you're constantly just concerned about your finances. And there's... Um, there's a delivering presence coming to you tonight to l deliver you of that fear of money and fear of lack. So I break that free from you. Father, teach us how to be a resource house to the world around us. Not just in money, but in every area. Teach us to be whole from the inside in Jesus' name. Thank you for the ability to obey your word tonight. And Father, I ask that the grace that's on my life and on this ministry for increase and multiplication would be added to their life as they partner with us. Let every debt they have be paid off in Jesus' name and let them always have more than enough for every good work. We bless your people to be like you, givers, to every good work. Amen. Amen. You can come. Thank you very much, guys. Appreciate it.